Welcome back to the Move, Eat and Energize podcast show, where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition, and bringing more energy into your day. In today's episode, I have Darren Maroney and Greg Leach back, and this week, we're going to do some fitness myth busting. So we talk about fat burning turned into, or fat being turned into muscle, we talk about why women won't look like men when they start lifting weights, why women should lift weights. Why strength training is just as important, if not more important, than doing your cardio training. And then the flip of that, why cardio training is just as important, or if not more important, than doing your strength training. So depending on your goals. We also talk about why you shouldn't follow strict diet plans, like 1200 calorie diet plans. And we also go on a bit of a rant about a trend we've seen lately where it's a free challenge, but if you don't get the results, it could cost you a lot of money, up to $500 if you don't get the results. So... Jump in, have a listen, and if there's something you want us to cover in a future episode, please reach out to us on social media. Thanks, guys. All right, so we are recording, and today's episode we're calling the Fitness Mythbusters Mythbusters episode. I can't talk. I had too much non-caffeinated tea. And we're just going to go through a list of few things and talk about some myths that are out there, and we're going to try and bust them for you how's that sound guys sounds awesome let's tackle the first one so greg you put this one up the fat being turned into muscle where'd you hear this one <laughs> it's i heard it at the gym uh it was a lady that was training next to me um believe it or not she was training for a figure competition so she was in pretty good shape she was a nurse and she turned around and said to me that she was going to turn this fat into muscle on her arms. Yeah, right. And I choked <laughs> at first because I thought, one, how the hell does someone who has studied anatomy to get qualified not understand that you cannot turn fat into muscle? Was she a uh, trainer? Sorry? Was she a trainer? No, no, she wasn't a trainer. She was a qualified nurse. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Uh, and But her trainer is one of the best trainers that I've ever met. So he wasn't there at that time. Um, but, yeah, I kind of had to explain to her that that just doesn't happen. And she looked at me a little bit mystified. And it's not the first time I've heard it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a little bit shocked. And I suppose I realised that that's probably the first time I really realised that people just have no understanding of basic physiology. No. Either that or she's an alchemist from the Middle Ages. <laughs> you know, the way they used to turn ladies into gold. Or it was. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you reckon that this does? Well, I think people just don't understand that, you know, fat and muscle are two completely different um, substances. I think I remember reading somewhere in the past that um, somebody who is severely obese, there are certain... Um, physiological states that you can be in where it will happen, but it's so, such a small percentage and you have to be, you know, we're talking people carrying 50% over like body fat ratios that it does happen, but it's not a very common thing. But I think a lot of people just misunderstand that when they, they lift weights and they're more conscious of their diet and um, stuff like that, that, you know, that, the fat disappears and then it's replaced by visible muscle because their, you know, their composition changes and they become a little bit leaner. So the muscle that was there or what muscle is built suddenly becomes more, um, um, you know, visible. So they, they just assume that it means that, well, you know, I've burnt that fat off or by lifting the weights that I've somehow turned this fat, um, into muscle. So, yeah, I think um, people just kind of misunderstand the way that it all, that it all works. It's not that I think it's, it's very close to, um, if you look further down the list, that spot reduction stuff. I think those two sort of fitness myths, I think kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And I think this one, the fat being turned to muscle is like a, it's got kind of popular as like a motivational meme where it's sort of high five, I'm turning this fat into my soul and then going into the training sort of fired up. 
without really much thought into it and then it's just kind of stuck around. The analogy that I had to use for her to completely understand it was like I said, if you have a piece of steak mm-hmm. and you have the the line, the, the bit of fat across the top of a piece of rump steak and if you're doing your exercise, then that fat will disappear. But it's not going to actually convert into muscle. And then she looked at me and went, oh. I said, so the muscle's there, the fat's a layer on top of it. When you burn the fat, the fat will disappear, but the muscle's still there. She goes, oh, oh, okay. I didn't quite understand why she didn't already understand that. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I guess moving on to the next one, like when you're looking at, this would be a good one to sort of follow on with, women looking like men when they lift weights as well. Were, this was yours as well, Greg. Yeah, I, I just... A lot, I mean, as well. Daz would have um, encountered this, and I'm sure working in the gym, but um, you, know, you, you find a lot of women... I don't want to don't want to generalise, but a lot of women tend to, to prefer cardio than strength training, and a lot of their excuses or reasons behind that are that oh, if I lift weights, I'm going to look like a bloke. Well, that's physically not going to happen, and you know the reasons behind needing to do resistance training are well documented. Um, but trying to actually make them understand as to how and why they won't look like a man. Yeah. Easier said than done. It's kind of hard now, especially when you see as good and bad as CrossFit has been one of the, I don't know, it's not really a negative, but it can be seen as a negative, I guess, is that um, the, the female athletes look jacked and they are completely jacked. So but you, the only ones that are going to out of the haters. Hey, the only ones that are going to comment on the way those females look are the haters. Yeah, and it's sort of—I guess that's where it sort of looks like when um, women want to start getting into training, and they go, "But I don't want to look like that." And then so like, then they lift weights, and that's the way they look. If I do that, I'm going to look the same. I reckon that's where it comes from because that's the feedback I get. I'm like, yeah. what, "How do you think you, you might end up looking?" And it's usually they pick out the the stage physique ladies or um, CrossFit athletes, pretty enough. Most of the time when I go, show me a photo that you think will show up, it might potentially look like if you do strength training or weights training. And it's usually a CrossFit athlete that comes up and they show me. I remember when I was working at a previous gym, there was one of the trainers there. She was fairly um, heavily into CrossFit and she actually lost clients because of the way that she looked from doing CrossFit because... um, women didn't want to look like that. I mean, she wasn't like hugely muscular, but she did, you know, she had some trap development from all of the, you know, the Olympic Olympic stuff she was doing, Um, you know, and, you know, she she was reasonably lean, wasn't super lean, like bodybuilding type lean, but I think just some women are, are, you know, that's not what their their ideal uh, physique is. So, and I think sometimes too it comes from, you know, that those old pictures that you see floating every, around every now and then of, you know, women who have obviously taken, you know, um, PEDs of some sort and they they grow, you know, an inhuman amount of muscle on a, on a female frame that just, you know, the, their natural chemistry wouldn't allow that. So, you know, um, yeah. And plus, you know, weightlifting has been such a, a male thing to do for a very long time. Yeah. And, you know, now that it's started to become a little more accepted, you know, across the board that, you know, people just, you know, are obviously going to think that, you know, if I lift weights, I'm, that they're the kind of results I'm going to get. But I think sometimes too, you know, you're going to have trouble convincing people of it. Sometimes, you know, maybe you might be able to start out in a certain way and then just, you know, over time be able to um, show people that that's not going to be the, uh, not going to be the case. But then I guess you've got people like, I mean, she's not as famous in Australia, but I guess Tracy Anderson was yeah, one yeah. that, that, you know,
you know, when she was talking about, you know, women shouldn't lift anything more than a five pound weight or whatever it was, because, you know, for whatever reason that she made up in her mind as to, you know, which, which, that, you know, it wasn't based in fact, it was based more in being able to sell programs and books and, you know, I guess buy into that, that whole fear that women have got about becoming more manly when they lift weights. Whereas if, you know, they lift the small weights, you just get long, lean muscles or whatever the, the, um, whatever the words that they use to, to counter the, the whole idea of becoming, you know, overly muscly. Man, I've, I've tried for a very long time to become more muscly and it's, it, even with a, you know, more testosterone, it's not as easy as, as you think. Well, I just sort of went over to Lyle McDonald's page because he has a blog where he lists out all the different methods that people talk about and the genetic, genetic potential of how we can put on muscle mass in a year and for guys it's 20 to 25 pounds in the first year and it basically halves that in the second year halves that again in the third and then the fourth year is like too hard to even calculate most of the time and yeah, then I mean, we, all, we all remember those those you know the first time we started lifting weights the gains that we got it was crazy like, yeah it was I, remember I, I went from weighing 65 kilos to like 80 and you know, I didn't really have a program I followed. I just did what every other knuckle dragger in the gym was doing. And, <laughs> um, Shrugs. And that, yeah, like um, you know, bench press, bench press, bench press every Monday without fail, um, you know, because you had to blast your chest with from five different positions with, you know, flat, incline, decline, flies, cables, what, whatever you could, um, whatever you could use. So, yeah, you know, I think uh, it'd be nice to go back to those those times when even just thinking about weights and you, you you put a couple of kilos on. Well, judging from like going back to McDonald's thing, like the guy guys got more genetic potential to put on more weight anyway. But averaging it out using the first year example, if a lady started training and started using weights and ate well and whatever, it's like point. 400 or 400 grams a month over the year. So roughly four to five kilos in a year. And then the drops by half of that the next year. But the other thing that, you know, unfortunately for women, I mean, one, obviously with the, um, you know, they just lack the testosterone. Yeah. Because of their cycles and everything, which changes their hormonal profile as well. Like they've just got some other factors in there that, that really, uh, hamper their ability to to put on slabs of, of muscle. Well, let's talk about we sort of de- like debunked the whole putting on and looking super jacked if you start training. You're just going to get strong. You'll get leaner. You'll have shape, but you can't put on a massive amount of mon- muscle and look like a crazy looking bodybuilder. But why would it be important for women to lift weights? Do you think? I mean, obviously, as they get older, the the osteoporosis, um, you know, obviously keeping that bone density um, strong as well. Um, you know, I guess, I mean, there's a lot of focus on men, you know, once they get to a certain age when their testosterone profiles start to change. But I, I haven't read a lot of stuff. But, I mean, have you read through Lyle McDonald's um, PDF on training women. There's probably a lot more information in there about, you know, um, the women's the, book. Yeah, the, in the women's book about hormonal profiles and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, know, there's heaps. But um, yeah, look, I mean, from one, just the 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 effect that it has on your body from bone strength through to um, just general day to day strength. Yeah, quality of life is the one I tend to gravitate towards when yeah. I talk to people. Yeah, you know, being, being able, able to, to do shit, being able to pick up. things up and put them down without feeling like you're, you know, you're you're going to dislocate your shoulder or something. And I know um, from some of the older clients I had in the past, even simple things like, you know, stepping off a ladder or or um, you know, if you take a misstep. I remember one of my clients in particular. She. Um, said that, you know, one time she, 
she um, she took a misstep somewhere, and because she'd been training um, strength and not even with heavy weight, just being able to control her body weight, she was able to stop herself from falling over. I mean, that I mean, as you age, the 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 impact that um, you know breaking bones and and fracturing things have on the quality of the life and you know, just being able to you know do things that you take for granted when you're a bit younger um, as you age like is, is a massive thing it's not always about getting to single digit body fat or you know being able to lift a certain weight I think like you mentioned the quality of life and you know how that's impacted yeah what do you reckon Greg yeah I mean obviously all those things that uh, are a definite, but if you look at it from a, I suppose a different angle as well. Not, not every female wants to go to the gym, but the bet, you know, some of them might be runners or cyclists or whatever. Understanding that the need for some form of strength training as a, as an extra component of whatever their other activity is, even if it's basketball or netball or, or whatever, um, which will help not get injured. For you know, take running for instance. You know how many how many recreational runners are injured every year? It's actually about, the figure is about seventy percent, and predominantly that's because they don't do strength training. Yeah, it's kind of like like we're moving on to the the next myth or the next subject, which is like why strength training is important, if not more important than cardio. It's like that whole getting out and start pounding the pavement, and your body starts copying that stress the absorption of you hitting the ground the whole time the strength training makes it so much better and so much easier to get out and continue the running aspect if that we're talking about running yeah and the funny thing is that most people when they think of strength training they just think of having to lift weights whereas if they actually just broke it down and and started with body weight but then also factoring in core strength I mean, most people don't think of, of doing strength work for your core as the same as doing strength work for your upper body or for your legs. And, uh, you know, it's just as important, if not more important, than, than the other two, purely and simply because without a good core, you, you, the rest of your body won't function. But I think also, too, like when you are running, whether it's part of sport or whether it's, you know, just for quality of life in general is that at the end of the day, like you've got to be able to carry your body. So, you know, even body weight strength training makes sense because if you're running, you're not running with a 15 kilo weight on your back. You're just carrying your own body around. So right. body weight strength training is, you know, a good place to start because that's the thing that you've got to, con- you've got to move around every day. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's a valid point that most people, when you mention the word strength training immediately, um, equate it with barbells, dumbbells, um, or whatever the the piece of equipment is that first jumps to mind. Yeah, I mean, if you ask someone to go and do three sets of ten squats, body weight squats, by the end, and they're not, not done them before, by the end of it, they're naked. Yeah, you I don't even like, have to worry about flicking a bar on their back. Yeah, and for most people, what I tend to find is body weight strength can be as much as they ever want, as much as they ever need as well. Yeah, so many ways and so much variety you can do with it, and then you get so much control over when and how you do it. I mean, you think back to the old days when, like calisthenics and things like that, um, which was was all body weight stuff. There was there was no extra equipment involved. It was being able to move your body, control your your body, and then you know, I guess gyms exploded in in popularity, and then you know. If you've opened a gym, you've got to fill it with equipment. So, um, you know, the equipment became um, a more, I guess, to the to the gym owners, a more important way of attracting people to their facilities, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So let's sum it up in a phrase. Why do you think strength training is important or more important than cardio? Greg, go. Jeez, that's a good one. I mean, obviously, it depend, depends on what, you, what you're looking for, but at the end of the day, I would say you need to have a complement of both. Yeah. Unless you're purely going to, you know, go in there and build up muscle, your, your cardio is obviously going to strip your lean muscle um, away. But 
if, if you just want to have a good, normal, functioning life, do a mix of both. You know, yeah. go and do a program of bodyweight exercises and then go out for a couple of walks a week. I mean, no one's saying you have to go out and run 10Ks or go and bench press you know, 100. Um, just a good, even mix of both. And, you know, you should be right for live a normal, happy, healthy life. Yeah. Darren, you go. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with Greg there. Like, I've been in, um, I've mentioned his name before, Ian King, like the Australian um, strength and conditioning guy, and he talks about a balance of um, endurance work, stretching, and uh, strength training, which, you know, he's a contrarian when it comes to a lot of that stuff. He, he believes that in a 60-minute session that, you know, you, you spend – a balance of 20 minutes on each of those those disciplines because obviously you know you want to be strong but there's no point trying to be strong if your range of movement is poor that you can't achieve um you know the the right positioning of your body or the right or the most effective depth for an exercise without the requisite uh flexibility but also that your heart and lungs need to be working really well to supply the 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 muscles and um with the the oxygen and all the other stuff that's needed to perform these tasks. So um, I've started to obviously, you know, as I've done more reading, um, you know, when I first started in the industry, I was, I was just about strength training. It's like, um, you know, that was the thing that I promoted really heavily because, you know, obviously with the way a lot of uh, sessions are structured, you have a short period of time and, you know, as important as flexibility training was or endurance training, um, I guess you focused more on the strength training because that was probably the area that people needed most assistance with because it's very easy to go for a walk or a run. I mean, obviously, when it comes to running, you know, running coaches have their place, like Greg, to be able to teach people how to, how to run so that they don't injure themselves, but then also to involve the strength training so reduce the chances, chances of injury as well. So, yeah, like... I think I like the idea of a balance so you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul. And, you know, you can see this, that people who, you know, just focus on strength training, you know, they're gasping if they walk up a flight of stairs because <laughs> they have no cardiovascular um, endurance. But then a lot of blokes who do strength train are absolutely um, morbidly afraid of cardio because that's another myth that we probably haven't. Um, put on the list about how cardio is going to eat away your gains. You know, there's a lot of blokes that are of the opinion that, you know, if you do too much cardio that you're not going to stay strong and that you're going to lose all that all that muscle. But, you know, again, that comes down to the way that you do the cardio, I suppose, and the way that you balance uh, your program. Yeah. Like I just added into our list, like, so you, why cardio is just as important, if not more important than strength. And for me, well, I've noticed personally, is like bringing in the conditioning work and um, focusing on that for Spartan has allowed me to recover so much faster and all the other things that I'm doing, like all the strength workouts and all that kind of stuff. I'm recovering way better and able to use what I've got faster and can get back into training quicker. The more I get aerobically fit through the cardio training and I haven't lost any of my gains except for the injury. I haven't lost any of my gains in strength and all that kind of stuff leading up to the injury while I was doing it. Yeah, I mean, um, I know in the past when I first discovered starting strength, Mark Ripito's program, and I was training three times a week, training pretty heavy, I got beat up pretty quick because, you know, obviously I wasn't balancing the recovery, but also I think the flexibility uh, aspect wasn't there either. I was trying to push my body um, into positions it didn't want to be in and you know if you're going to keep forcing something's something's going to give and if you keep putting a heavy weight on your back or pulling a heavy weight off the floor um you know and you're not doing it you know in a position or a way that your body can really do it then you know i injured my left left shoulder because of that and uh, again it's that unfortunate thing of where ego um kind of takes over from um, you know, common sense. I think you make those mistakes when you're a bit younger because you're like you just try and muscle through everything and and use the fact that you you're young and you can probably recover 
to overcome or to cancel out the, the benefit of, of those um, other aspects of training. But, um, yeah, sometimes you got to, I keep saying, you've got to stick your hand in the fire to find out that it's hot and you'll get burnt. <laughs> as long as, I mean, it's, it's like that, that definition, stupidity, you know, keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. What do you reckon, Greg? Why do you think cardio is just as important, if not more important, than strength? Oh, along the same lines as Daz. I mean, for me, I, I, I'm I'm not interested in in lifting weights. That's yeah. just me. You know, not everyone has uh, a, a desire to go to the gym. But you know, I'd rather be on my bike or or out running or bushwalking or something like that. And at the end of the day, it's about what you enjoy. And if you do something that you enjoy, then you'll keep doing it. But I also understand that there's a need to do some strength training to allow me to do more of what I like to do. So, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to find, when it comes down to making changes in your lifestyle for your health and your fitness, you've got to find something that you like to do. Otherwise, if you start just doing what people say, well, you must do strength or you must do cardio and you hate either one of them, then you're just lost. You're not going to do it. You'll give it up and you'll just go back to your old ways. So for me, cardio is just as important as the strength training because that's what I enjoy doing. But I know I have to have an extra component of the strength training so that I can do more of what I like to do. Yeah, I like that. Good summing up. I mean, for me, just to add a little bit more, like um, I never used to do a lot of structured cardio. I just like relied on just walking around and stuff. But, you know, um, in probably the last four or five months, I've started to do just one group fitness session a week where I can go in there and somebody else tells me what to do. I don't have to come up with the program. I just go along and I modify it uh, based on, you know, the knowledge I've got of my body and what I know it can tolerate and what it can't. And, yeah, I think I've, I've seen a benefit from that, whereas in the past I would have been, like I said, I, I, like, I was deathly afraid of cardio because it's like, oh, I'm going to lose all that strength that I've built up and, you know, I'm going to lose weight and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, balancing your program. But like Greg was saying as well, and, you know, this is a, you know, I'm like a, a broken record when it comes to, you know, you've got to find that stuff that you enjoy. As long as you don't hate it, you might, you might, it might not be enjoyable at first, but if you can grow to love it, then, you know, do what you, you're going to, going to stick to. And like Greg said, you know, he likes getting on his bike, you know, um, I would never tell anybody to do anything that they don't um, want to do only if I wanted to keep them as a client for a very short period of time because it's, they're just not going to, they're not going to stick with it. So I think that's where, you know, that the program has to fit the person. The person doesn't fit the program because, you know, square pegs, round holes, all those other analogies, however you want to want to think about it. It's, you know, it's, it's finding that, um, program that you like doing and that you go back to doing and you know that's the great thing that we, we all have different um, you know likes and, and loves and you know we can hopefully you know find something that we, we can go back to and um, keep doing so we get the benefit from it yeah I think you guys both summed it up pretty much it's like first find the thing you enjoy doing and then supplement it with the thing that might be missing out of that activity just to make sure you can keep showing up and got the right balance. I mean, obviously having a coach like, like yourselves, it can help people get over those, those challenges that are going to, that are going to crop up because to be honest, some people are going to get to a point where they just, you know, they're at their wits end. They're like, Oh, I don't know what to do from here. And that's where obviously a skilled coach can, you know, ask the right questions you know, or even just make suggestions um, to people if they're open to that on things that they can try. Yeah. And, you know, if it doesn't work, oh, well, you chalk it up to experience and you try something else. So I think you never stop learning, that's for sure. Nah, exactly. All right, let's go on to the next one. Why you shouldn't do a 1,200-calorie diet, day-per-day diet, or X amount of calorie-per-day diet. You could put a little addendum on the end of that, unless you weigh less than fifty kilos. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, Greg, I think you brought this one up. What's your thoughts on this one? Oh, I mean, we, we see these programs out there and they're, they're mass marketed and they target people who have a truckload of weight to lose and that's great. People get on them and they're successful for a while, but they're not sustainable. So most of them are set up for 12-week uh, programs and even the big gyms run these bloody programs and they're expecting their trainers to push them and if you're half decent trainer you know that 1200 calories ain't going to work but the clients want the results within that 12-week period so i think what people need to understand and i've been one of these these clients you know i was on an 1800 calorie per day um diet and it was great i, I dropped bloody 60 kilos in 12 months but it wasn't sustainable and then at the end of it, I needed to actually have some more understanding myself as to how I was going to manage that moving forward. Most people don't have that understanding. They'll stop the programs and then they rebound because their body just, you know, they don't stick with the 1,200. They go back to eating what they were previously or even if they only go back to 1,800 as a female, the body's going to have a response where it's going to put some weight back on. Um, you know, people need to have an understanding earlier on and having a good trainer or a good coach to let them know exactly what they need at the start, which is manageable, which is going to help them lose weight, uh, but also feed their body, put them on a proper training program, etc., to get the results they want. Unfortunately, now at the current climate is that everyone wants a quick fix. They want to drop 20, 30, 40 kilos tomorrow, and they expect that it's going to maintain. Um, and that just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I think... My big rub with the do eat X amount of calories per day for the whole diet plan is just sort of the inflexible nature of the plans that get given out. Yeah. Mainly just like we're all parents here and like the idea of sticking to a diet plan in my eyes that is X amount of calories, this meal, this meal is that the rest of the family aren't going to eat. So you're pretty much eating by your lonesome. Just doesn't seem like it's like it, no one would do that long term. We all like eat the whole idea of eating is meant to be social. We like doing it with other people, and there's no intuitive thing with it. You don't you're not learning how to sense your hunger, how to eat for satiety, and it's just most like even if you do get kick ass results, it's uh, very hard to keep them long term unless you learn along the way how to do this stuff long term. You want to, you, there's a really good thing um, if you want to look at it, is the, the study that was done on the biggest loser participants. Yeah. And what that did to their metabolisms. It's, it's interesting reading like um, what, like a lot of activity and basically starving yourself of calories um, actually does to your body and how it can actually. Um, make it more difficult for you to get back to a, a normal um, like method of it or not method, but a, a normal way of eating because you've um, just, you, you've wrecked a lot of the, the, the ways that your body uh, regulates how uh, you eat. You, you, you've kind of lost, lost touch with it. But the other thing about a 1200 calorie diet is that it, the World Health Organization classifies starvation as 1,200 calories or less. Yeah. So, you know, there are countries in the world where people aren't purposely eating uh, 1,200 calories. That's all they can get, and they are not the pic they're not pictures of health. You know, the the one that the one amazing thing about living in a developed country or a country of privilege is that people consciously choose to do this to themselves, which I find quite interesting. But I think that's more a, a, a reflection on how desperate people are to um, lose weight when, you know, they haven't been able to do it any other way in the past. So they're, they're willing to, to try something like this. And... And I, I guess you could try a 1200 calorie diet and see how, see how it feels and, you know, learn some things about yourself and, 
and that sort of stuff. But you know, as we've mentioned, it's it's not sustainable in the in the long term. You know, um, quick weight loss comes through a calorie deficit, but you know, the more weight that you lose and the lighter your body gets, the less calories that you you actually need. So there's all these changes because your metabolism's adaptive and your body's adaptive. So you know, um, and the more you starve yourself, the, the more your body tries to survive. It's it's really interesting what the body does when if you starve it, what it does to make you eat, and the battle that, that you will have to try and maintain that that very restrictive level of calories. There's only a small number of people that can probably muscle their way through it, and um, for the rest of us mere mortals, it's 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 going to be a very difficult. Um, Thing to do, and as I think Greg already mentioned, it's you know it's not something you can do in the in the long term. Yeah, so I guess like our big takeaway for everyone is it's not sustainable. You might get fast results early on, but unless you unless there's some way you learn how to do it yourself, or someone teaches you as you're doing the program or whatever the diet plan is, it's coming back because as soon as you finish the twelve weeks or whatever it is your body's going to be in a state of wanting to just smash everything it sees and any food that's not nailed down will be going in your gut. And that's my other question at the end of 12 weeks. What then? Yeah. There's what, nothing. What, 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 do you, what do you do then? Because a lot of these programs have just, after that 12 weeks, unless you want to reach into your pocket again and pay them again, which is what that, um, what's her name, Greg? The, you did her program. Michelle Bridges. Because a lot of the results they advertise on that, if you look at the small writing down below, the amazing results that these people have got are from repeat. Um, yeah, three or four programs. Yeah, they've gone through cycles of at least three, I think. I can't remember what the wording is, but the pe- people haven't got these amazing results from one 12-week um, cycle of this. They, they've gone back for repeated cycles, so they're obviously getting that... that um, you know, that support, but, you know... They're not all like me. <laughs> you can drop 25 kilos in 12 weeks. Yeah, well... Well, let's talk about when you did the... So it was the 1,800-calorie diet. We were talking about this off-air before. Yeah. Use the, the example of you doing the bike ride to show well, you how well, it can backfire. The whole concept is I was on 1,800 calories a day, which I didn't find too bad. Um... And the, you're supposed to work out six times a week. And during the week, you're expected to burn 500 calories per workout, which, you know, 500 calories for me is pretty easy. On Saturdays, the expectation, when they used to call them Super Saturday Sessions, the expectation was that you were to burn 1,000 calories in a workout. Yeah, wow. So if you figure that you're a female... And you don't, you know, you might weigh 70 kilos and you're trying to lose five kilos and you've got to burn a thousand. Well, that's not going to happen anyway. For me, I would go out on a bike ride. If I went and did a couple of hours bike ride, I could burn 3,000 calories. I would come back and sit on the couch and in the afternoon, I would be nearly in a coma purely and simply because I didn't understand that by burning 3,000 and then only eating 1,800 for the day, that I was in such a depleted state that I couldn't function. So it took me a while to understand, well, no, if I'm going to burn that many calories, then I need to really up my intake. But most people don't understand that. They just think, oh, great, I've smashed a session, I've burned 3,000 calories, I'm going to lose a heap of weight this week. But your body just goes into shock. Yeah. But also, too, you look at a lot of these programs, and as you mentioned there, they combine... uh, a severe calorie deficit with high amounts of exercise. I mean, it, it just, that, that's like saying you've got to drive 800 calorie, uh, 800 kilometers in your car with a quarter of a tank of fuel. Like it's, it, it's physically almost physically impossible. And then, you know, once you've done that, you, you, you're in such a deficit that one, like Greg said, you, you're either flat out on the couch or you're breaking your diet because you've done so much exercise that you're sending these messages to your body to say, well, I need to replace those calories. So, yeah, I think um, that the programs are not written with an understanding of um, human physiology and the way that it works. 
I, I, I might disagree with you there for a sec, Daz, but it's not not to only in the context that I have a very pessimistic view about these sorts of things. Anyway, they're they're not. It's not that they're not written about the physiological knowledge of the body. They're written to prey on the naivety of the public, so that you fail and then keep signing up to, to do it again. Or that you succeed for 12 weeks and then you put the weight back on and then you go, oh, shit, that 12-week program really worked for me. I'm going to go back and do it again. So they just keep sucking cash out of people without educating them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're teaching people much because uh, you just follow the program. You don't learn much um, really at all. You're not investigating anything. You're not, like um, Chris was mentioning, you're not, you're not listening to hunger cues. You're not recognising satiety. You're not. Um, you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not really learning anything that's going to give you skills to be able to maintain um, a certain lifestyle going forward. Because you know that these these things don't create a normal lifestyle. And like Chris mentioned about the way that you eat, like you know, if you're going to eat a certain way and the rest of the family has to eat another way, well. I don't know how sustainable that is. I mean, obviously, if you've got intolerances and stuff like that that you you don't have any control over, that's different. But, you know, if you purposely decide to eat um, a certain way or a reduced amount of calories, you know, then, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out on an island on your own. Yeah. And, you know, so... But, I mean, it's at least the, I think that's the other good thing, Greg, that you've you've experienced that, and you come out the other side with the uh, you know the education that it's given you. I mean, obviously you had to suffer a bit along the way to get that education. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that I had a little bit of an understanding. I suppose a bit of a sporting background, but there's a lot of people out there that have none whatsoever. And then, you know, they're on these 1200 calorie diets or even 15, some of them, 1500. Um, and they don't understand when they hit a plateau, they don't understand why. And they don't, you know, they don't understand the, the body screaming for some, for some help. And, uh, you know, if you gave it a little, a little bit of extra calories that you might actually see a bounce back. But also too, I think it, it puts people in the mindset that they failed. Yeah. This program that's been created by Michelle Bridges, who's made out to be like this wonder woman of health and fitness, has created this program that's like a magic bullet. And then if you can't follow the program or you can't do the program, that you're a failure. Like that um, you weren't able to diet hard enough. Um, and you, you see it, like you saw it a lot with the paleo mob. Oh, you don't paleo properly. You know, it's never that that the paleo diet's not right for you. It's that you were wrong and that you uh, failed in some way, which just creates, uh, it's not a very positive mindset when you're trying to improve yourself that you're constantly being told that you're the one doing stuff wrong. Yeah. And, and I think you're right in the fact where you say that, uh, you know, you've, you've people get the, the mindset that they've done it wrong, whereas... People don't understand that it's not cookie cutter. Like there's not one size fits all. So 1,200 calories might work for one person, but the next person might need 1,600 and they might need a few more carbs and, you know, and the training's got to be different to the program that everyone's following because your body reacts differently. And, and because people don't understand that, and it's not because people are stupid, it, it's just purely and simply because you know, if you haven't done the training, you don't have that knowledge. You don't have that knowledge. Well, that's why people sign up to the programs because they don't they they want to outsource all of that to an expert. Yeah. And they pay the money and they get the program, and then they they do the program. And you know, obviously, there's some people that do really well on it. But um, you know, as with all social media or advertising, we get a highlight reel. You know, we don't see the or don't hear about people who, who is an absolute disaster for, yeah. but that they're actually potentially in an even worse position after doing one of these programs than they were before they started, which to me is just, um, I could say negligent. I mean, that's a strong word, but um, 
yeah. Um, there's a really good woman to follow on Facebook. I think her name's Kai Hibbard, and she did. She was a contestant on one of the biggest losers in America, and um, she achieved some pretty amazing results while she was on there. But then she suffered the rebound, like most of the contestants do, and she's become more of an advocate for people finding their own way through it and not believing in all the the, the garbage. And um, yeah, she's become sort of a, a voice against these, these kind of extreme programs that um, cause more harm than, than good, I think. So, so is Margie Cummins. She won the Australian one and she was trained by Michelle Bridges and uh, she hates the program. Um, she was saying how... Uh, the absolute lack of support afterwards um, is why 95% of the contestants rebound with their weight and actually put on more. Um, she said, basically, as soon as you finish the show, they don't, they don't want anything to do with you. Um, so you basically, if you haven't got that support network around you already, then you're stuffed, which, you know, if you had the support network around you already, you probably wouldn't have gotten to the state that you needed to go on the show in the first place. But, um, it's interesting though because the not the last series, the one before where they had the families on, the the family that won at the Joffreys, they actually trained in my gym. Ha, huh, that's cool. Yeah, and so I got to know a couple of them really well, and um, the stories that they t- talked about inside the house. Um, some days people were like restricting themselves to five hundred calories and then working out for six hours. Yeah. But- but the show, the show really, um, those people that are willing to do that, the show uh, paints them as heroes, like that they're willing to um, go that extra mile. You know, they're really committed. They're really motivated to, I mean, obviously, if you're going to put up a, you know, a sizable amount of prize money, you know, that, that it's where money's involved. It's quite interesting to see how much people are willing to do to win win prizes yeah. yeah it's ridiculous oh talking off that let's talk about a big one that's been around unless you guys mentioned when i went and got theo before but the these new six-week challenges that are supposedly free but after you've signed up and pay 500 bucks and you lose nine kilos you get the money back so that's the free aspect but you gotta lose nine kilos in six weeks this is like something i've seen sort of Happened in Aubrey a little bit, and I've seen it happen in the cities around Australia a lot. I mean, it's running rampant over in America. It's everywhere over there. I've not seen that one before. That's an interesting. Again, you know, what are people willing to do for five hundred bucks? Their own money, which is the funny part. Like you're yeah. paying it, and you got to destroy yourself. Train like Greg will tell you in a bit the story that he heard. But yeah, destroy yourself to get the nine kilo loss to get the money back. Yeah, I've got got a a lady that uh, was training with me. She decided to do this challenge. She hadn't told me about it. Um, She was was in my my running group and then she decided she wanted to do this challenge and, you know, not not up to me. It's it's her money. Um, But I said to her, I wish she had just mentioned it to me earlier and she said, oh, why? And I, I explained to her, the way that this particular one worked was that you pay your 500 bucks, you then go and train with them, you have to post every day on social media about your training and tag them in it and you have to change your profile picture on Facebook to their logo. So basically they're using you as a marketing tool and then if you lose the nine kilos, you'll get your money back. So... She said to me, oh, well, okay, so what's what's the problem there? And as she was progressing, I was noticing that she was doing two workouts a day. So she's doing between 10 and 12 workouts a week. And I asked her how she how the results were, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling really good, which is fantastic, but I don't think I'm, I'm losing enough weight. So I was asking her about her food and, and um, mentioned to her that I thought she was doing too many workouts um, but I didn't want to sound like I was coming across as if I was that bitter ex-trainer. 
Um, I just mentioned to her that, you know, she wasn't giving herself enough recovery time and, uh, you know, the body was going to rebel. Got to the end of it and she'd only lost, I shouldn't say only, she'd lost two and a half kilos, but she looked amazing. She'd lost centimetres, so obviously she, she'd built some lean muscle uh, and she was really, really disappointed. And then she said to me, I probably should have listened to you and cut back on my workouts. And I said, oh, why do you say that? And apparently one of the trainers at the gym had mentioned to, her, mentioned to her on the sly that she probably shouldn't have been doing two workouts a day. So for me, I'm looking at it going, right, they've got you in. They've, told, they've pushed you to do as many workouts as possible because in your eyes, not knowing any better, that's going to help you lose the weight. They've got you to do their advertising for them. You haven't lost the nine kilos. They've kept the 500 bucks. You feel like crap blaming yourself because you haven't stuck to the diet. And she said, oh, maybe I should listen to you. But there's like three other people that I know of that are doing the same program at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's sort of... I don't know. It's just it's interesting, like the bait and switch in the first place, where it's free and you pay whatever it is, and then you win your money back at the end. That alone, sort of just, I think you said, Daz, before it just sort of rubs you wrong. But so, sorry, I'm just trying to work out. So it's free to sign up. Where does the when do you pay the five hundred when you sign up? So you you are out of pocket when you sign up. Yep. Right. So it's not free. No, but you get a chance to win your money back. Yeah. So that's all we have time for for this week. Next week, we'll come back with more myth, myth, myth busting on the ones we didn't hit and what people give us questions for. But I wanted to ask you if you've heard about our Fit Parents Made Simple program. To give you a little bit of understanding of how it works, it's all about communication. So once you join and we get started, you and I talk every day. And this is going to help with accountability and mindfulness, but more importantly, it's going to allow us insight into what's working and what's not and why. So I have a philosophy that everyone knows what they need to do. Everyone has all the information. It's just how like, how to implement it into their lives. So I don't think it's an intellectual struggle for most people. It's more a psychological one. So we really try to break down where your challenges exist and most importantly, what we can do to get you eating in a way, moving in a way, and re-energizing in a way that gives you the best results for life. So what you get in the program is a movement and exercise plan, a simple nutrition plan, a simple lifestyle and re-energize plan to give you as much energy as you can, educational videos and cheat sheets just to give you simple advice and quick wins, you get group support, and then you also get a one-on-one, seven-day-a-week coach to help support and guide you. If you would like to check this out and sign up to our program, we have four-week packages. You can go over to the cjrubric.com slash coaching and check out the prices and you can sign up on that page right away. If you have any questions about it, shoot me a message. But jump on the waiting list. Enrollment opens once a month, so if you want to get on it, you have to be quick. Thanks, guys.